Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. On today's podcast, we look at what the coronavirus pandemic teaches us about how science operates and is communicated here in Ireland. Here's my bottom line. There are many potential therapies under development, and we're rooting for them all. The reality of treating very sick patients is that we clinicians want to try something, even if we're not sure it works. But this is no time to abandon the scientific method of doing careful research. And if we continue to embrace science, our best guess is just may morph into effective therapies. That was a clip of NYU professor of medicine John LaPook appearing on CBS speaking about the importance of the scientific method, particularly during the COVID-19 crisis. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the scientific practices of virology and epidemiology have come into the public psyche like never before, with the large majority of the public holding some grasp on the science behind COVID-19. Shane Bergen is a physicist and assistant professor in science education at UCD and recently wrote an Irish Times article looking at what valuable lessons COVID-9 teaches us on how science operates. He speaks to me on today's podcast about what changes might be made in future in how it's funded, debated and taught in our school system. We also look at what might be learned for future global emergencies but first I began by asking him what the scientific method entails and why it's so important. The scientific process is something that is universal to all scientists. It sort of has variations depending on which scientific discipline you're in. Interestingly, the term scientist is something that was invented by colleagues in the humanities to describe us as a collective. But you rarely hear scientists call themselves scientists. You know, I'm a physicist. I very rarely identify as a scientist. But we do talk about things in the general. And one of the main values that we all hold together is this sense of process. How do we discover or how do we learn new knowledge or contribute to what we know already or question what we know? The main process this follows is the creation of a hypothesis. We come up with a, an idea as to what might be happening. How might we explain a new concept or test a new medicine or understand a new way of looking at something like gravity or light? And then we have to carry out experiments to test whether that hypothesis is true. And they have to be falsifiable. In other words, we don't just look for the first piece of evidence that confirms what we felt. We, we try and interrogate it as broadly as possible to try and shoot it down, basically. So we, we don't want this to scrape through and people going, great, it got through, you know, it's, it's all good. We want to tear it apart ourselves. And we do that through experimentation, trying to prove the hypothesis wrong. And if we can prove it wrong, then we say, well, there must be some truth in it. The next stage in the process is to report those findings, which is done through publication. What we do is we send our work off, uh, we write it up and uh, to, to a journal, which is like a scientific magazine. And before it is published, it is reviewed by peers in a blind way. So I might send in an article and a bunch of my peers, people who are experts in the same area that I'm expert in, will come and look at it and they will give either a thumbs up thumbs down or a tentative thumbs up. Now, it's normally the tentative one. And what that means is they'll say, we like what you're talking about, but we don't think that it's, it's quite there yet. 
that are going to ask you to do either more experiments or to think about your results in a different way. And that process can take months, really can. It can take absolutely a long, long time for for uh, the, the back and forth between you and your reviewer. And you never know your reviewer's name. This person is, mm. is, is just an expert. And there's normally a few of them. So that goes around and around. And eventually it is published. When things are published, they've gone through a peer review process. This is hugely important as a firstly gives a more robust critique of the research, allowing for a higher standard of publication. Secondly, it can also help improve how that research is further communicated. We say it has a community uh, response so that the, the community feels that this, this work is good enough to put out there. It's not that we'll all stand by it and say this is the truth come hell or high water. It's just as an agreement that a process was adhered to in finding that stuff out. And do you feel, I suppose, before COVID, because in recent weeks, which you mentioned, the likes of virologists and epidemiologists have now become household names. But previous to this, was there a disconnect between the scientific community and the public here in Ireland? I do think that science and science is held at a distance by society. You know, I think what's happening with COVID right now is that there is there's a lens. Like, you know, people, as you said, are aware of the fact that we have immunologists and virologists and epidemiologists. And we even have a sense as to what all these terms mean. I think people are looking to science more acutely now because they're like, give us hope and give us a, give us a sense of a plan to get out of this current situation. And science most likely, like, you know, I believe Luke O'Neill, my colleague in Trinity, when he says this thing is beatable. But as to, you know, h- how quickly and how, what do we define by beatable? You know, how many mm. how many lives will be lost before we get to the point where we say we've we have tackled, you know, we control this virus. Uh, And science has its process to fall back on. Um, But I think that there has been sort of a public relations issue with science for some time that people just expect that the science will come up with a solution. The science, you know, the nameless uh, people in white coats will come up with a solution really quick and that uh, they can get on with their lives. What I think COVID is showing now is that the process of doing science takes time and most interestingly just because we may come up with uh, ways of controlling or limiting the virus does not mean that those are going to be adhered to and that that expertise is going to be listened to and we can see that now in this sort of second phase of the pandemic so at the very start there was complete shock people just said okay we'll just do whatever the the scientists say Um, and that that isn't necessarily a good thing that people should be questioned completely But now we're into this second phase where there's multiple different um, factors. Like the term economy quite rightly comes up an awful lot more in uh, in discussions. And so we have to balance the the needs of um, of a society to feed itself and maintain itself by earning money. But also we have to listen to the health experts and saying we need to run our hospitals in an efficient way. And then the scientists who are saying, we, we want to uh, offer these ways out of the of the pandemic. And that might uh, be like, do you wear a mask? Do you submit your data for an app so that you can know if you came in contact with somebody who, who may have the virus, et cetera, et cetera. But all of those things are not straightforward. But what I've been advocating recently is that the scientific process, knowing about that and knowing how scientists come up with their knowledge or knowing about how they arrive at a point of view, that that's important because it's not just, it shouldn't be equated with throwaway remarks that others may be making. I'm not saying that one form of expertise is necessarily better than than another, 
But I think that the scientific perspective or the scientific process has an awful lot going for it. And we shouldn't we should make sure as scientists that we explain how that works when we're explaining our findings. The COVID-19 crisis has been a good example on how scientists and policymakers can work in unison to make large national solutions happen quickly. Since the beginning of this outbreak, parallels have been made against how we might in future look to tackle the climate emergency. And there are many things that have been learned over this five-month period. But I think that one very positive thing from COVID-19 is that we see that we are able to make changes um, that are are in our collective best interest. Um, So uh, I've also been reading a lot about the types of changes that would be needed to reverse climate change. And they are less than what we are doing right now. I think what we have is an acute problem that requires a 100% 100% focus for, for a relatively short period of time. I'm hoping it won't be years, but it might be. But with climate change, it's more like a, you know, habitual change. It's, it's stuff we have to do in our lives, all of us collectively, that may not be immediately in our economic best interest, but will be in our societal best interest in the long run. It's kind of, I always think of it, it's like, it's like a pension. Nobody wants to put money into their pension when they're 30 because they're like thinking, well, I have to buy a house or I have to do stuff now. I, want, I, I need these things today. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to think about 30 years from now and to think about planning for a life that you can't imagine. I think climate change is a little bit like that. It's like we do have to, to consider what it might be like for, for people who are living in 20 50, 100 years time. Experts have been saying that a large part of this planet will become inhabitable in the years ahead, which will have a huge impact on public health and the global economy. What they're also saying is that the changes required to to kind of prevent that from happening are not as profound Mm. as the changes we've had to make to live in a pandemic. And thus, I think we can do it. And so I hope that a new relationship between the public, between scientists or experts in general, and between um, policy decision makers. That's the crucial uh, third part, right? It's those who make decisions in our country. That, uh, in other words, politicians, civil servants, business people, etc. That there can be an alignment of uh, these three groups and that there's a public will to tackle climate change. There is an openness from scientists and and other experts to talking about what that means in, in their opinion. And then there is a wherewithal from policymakers and from decision makers to put that into practice in a way that's fair for people and that it's just um, and that it uh, sort of doesn't disenfranchise or disempower any group and that basically we can change the way we live so Mm. that we can mitigate the effects of climate change. But that doesn't mean, say, wiping out farming or telling people that you can't fly anymore or you know you're not going to have like one thing that we just focus on and say you're not doing that anymore it has to be fair you know we can't make poor people poorer as a result of trying to fix climate change that just wouldn't be right you know it would be completely unfair to do something like that i think most people's first encounter with science is obviously in school especially in primary school is there anything or any particular way we need to redevelop how it's actually taught in second and third level and make it a little bit more engaging rather than just potentially learning the facts that surround the subject itself yes i do think that uh you know, that we, we do need to consider how we teach science at all levels, right up to, to, to college, to third level. Um, science is a process. Um, and so science education should be about the process. I would say that a lot of science education, including college, is about regurgitation of established facts. 
Now, it is important to know certain things in science and to develop skills and to have knowledge of content, as we call it, um, in order for you to, to do things and to figure things out. But there has to be a balance. The structure of Ireland State exams is focused on learning information and being able to regurgitate them come exam time. In Shane's opinion, the way science is taught in second and third level needs a dramatic overhaul to help promote process-based learning. The ability to recall information is not really uh, part of, well, it's not been my experience as being part of being a scientist. When I want to find something out, I'll Google it or look it up in a book. Um, And the real skill then is trying to figure out whether the stuff I read is valid or not. And so that's a scientific skill. Um, it's a skill in lots of areas, right? You read a history book and you're trying to decide, mm. is, this a, is this a valid perspective, you know? And so I feel that education for science at all levels should be about students doing science and not listening to somebody talking about science in a very disjointed or abstract way. In fairness, there have been curricular changes um, in primary school is on the way. Uh, in secondary school, there is the beginning of changes in the early years of the junior cycle. And there have been some reforms, in, in uh, particularly in the United States, around reforming how science is taught there to their undergraduates. Each of these share uh, a focus on process, or at least a dilution of an over-focus on content to include more about process and experimentation. People doing science, forming hypotheses, testing them to experiments, and establishing findings for themselves. It's not that everyone needs to go into school and invent gravity for themselves or something like that. You know, it's not as sort of fundamentalist as that, but it's more like learning these thinking skills that one might associate with with, uh, being a scientist. And they are experimentation, they are skepticism, they are ability to, to use mathematics in order to understand findings all of these sorts of things. And there is an overwhelming amount of research out there that shows that when you teach science in a more active way, students learn better and a more diverse group of students learn better. Despite this, Shane said there has still been some resistance from those in the system for change. Some teachers, some book publishers, students who have done very well from the existing system can tend to push back. And I can understand that in some sense. Um, and so I follow the research from people like Noah Finkelstein in Colorado, who talks about not just the initial work to show that we can make the change, but also how do you make the change? How do you change cultures in schools and colleges so that the the more active form of education is seen as something worth doing? Um, and I see that ha- uh, this logic has played out in Ireland with the junior search. There was really good thought put into making a change yeah. away from this one sort of exam at the end of three years to having something that was far more student-led and the teachers grading their own students, etc., the problem was that the delivery or the, that the way in which the system was changed was an absolute, it was a mess, right? Mm. It was a complete mess. Teachers were disenfranchised. They were just told this is what you have to do. Students were confused. And in fairness to them, the likes of the department and their various agencies, the Department of Education, in my opinion, did not do a good job at explaining why there was a change being made and involving teachers, parents and students in that change. Mm. And so I think that represents a fundamental, like this is, this is a repeating issue in Irish education, is that we, we, we are not able to have proper discussions about how education should uh, be in Ireland. In other words, what's it for? How does it work? How do we make sure it's fair, it's equitable, etc.? And I think that, like, you know, compared to science, the other area that I work in, 
um, you can express your view in science and you'd be told, right, you know, I don't, I don't agree with you. I can have another view and this is based on another experiment. Um, and there can be a healthy conversation that way. I feel in education, perhaps because it's a lot more political, and I see it in science education, you get your head chopped off for saying anything different. Mm. Um, and I, I feel that's a real pity. And so I think that we need, we need different ways to have conversation. That was episode 29 of Viral COVID-19. I'd like to thank Shane Bergen for joining me on the podcast today. I will be back next week for more news and info on Ireland's response to the coronavirus outbreak. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll talk to you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.